0: Okay. Reiterating very quickly. The last few weeks, of course, we've been in the come together, uh, has been the theme of the year. And even though I didn't get the team to play it today for time today, certainly fits in that because the great power of what we do in missions is the fact that we actually come together on something and we pool resource and we focus resource. And that gives us the ability to make a significant impact wherever we are and wherever we've been over the years. We've been in many different nations over the years and, um, And that has been uh, a fantastic thing. So, come together is definitely the theme of today. But where we've been so far with this is we learned that it's God's will that He gathers all things together in Christ. That includes our lives so that he can use our lives to keep gathering in everything else. We talked about authority, that the actual issue behind sin is not moralized behavior, but the authority that we either keep to build our life or we give away to dark forces that don't have our best intent at heart. We looked at reflecting God's image as being why we were created and then we looked at being the light of the world that Jesus said we would be and last week we dropped down into it pretty practically and we looked at how we can shine our lights by being people who don't complain, who don't whinge, who have a different spirit to what we often find around us in the world. Um, In other words, and we learned a new word, we learned not to Chunter. Okay. Who got caught out chuntering this week? Anyone have a bit of a chunter? Chunter. Uh, um, And so if you didn't, if you weren't here last week, that was a bit of fun that we had and it was a good message. You should probably listen to the podcast and learn what chuntering is all about. Uh, So that's where we've come. But what I'd like to say about today, I'd Really, this has all been setting up so that we could get to God's real agenda. What the real thing is for God. And all of that is critically important, but it is all headed somewhere. That we've been created in His image, that particularly now in Jesus and Jesus saying we're the light of the world, we've been restored to our original vocation as God's image bearers in the world. And so today, I want to, as we look at missions, I want to look at what I think is God's real agenda for us. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I read it before, quoted it before, I'll read it now. And this is at the beginning of the book of Acts. This is written by Dr. Luke, and he records Jesus saying, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You shall receive power. And I love it when the Holy Spirit touches our lives with power. I love it in the middle of worship when, you know, you just have this sense of the presence of God and it's, come on, who's ever gotten a few goosebumps, a few holy goosebumps? Um, I love that. I love that. But that's not necessarily what the power is there for. I love it when I'm reading the Bible and something comes alive, jumps off the page at me, changes my life. Maybe you hear a word, you're you're hearing someone preach and it can set you free in an instant, instant, can't you? It pokes a hole in your sky, something breaks and it's like, wow, and you know the power of the Holy Spirit is on that word to touch and change your life. But that is not why Jesus said the Holy Spirit's given. He said the Holy Spirit is given, power is given so that you could be a witness, literally, beginning in your community, Jerusalem, and then the region, Judea, and then Samaria, the surrounding nations, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. And what we see in the book of Acts is, uh, is this call to being the light of the world. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to do it. So when you worry about, well, how could I ever be the light of the world? You've been given power to do it. The power of God. You're filled with God, literally, to do it. And of course, in this verse, we also see uh, what missions, that early missions understanding was, is that we are not only influenced where we are in our hometown. For them, it was Jerusalem. But then that was to spread in increasing circles of influence right throughout the world. And the fact is, it has and it still does. And we get to be part of that in our city, our region, the far west and the nations of the world. So our strategy has been pretty simple. It's changed a bit over the years at different times. But basically, right here in the city, we want to have a vibrant and life-giving church And in the regional centres around us, that's what we're doing mission-wise. We want to bring Christ to remote areas of our state. That's what we do in Far West, uh, around the world, empowering disciple-making by equipping leaders, multiplying leaders and feeding, clothing and educating children. It's all part of discipling the nations and it's a good thing. And can I just say, it's, it's effective too. Um when I was preparing for today I had to think what my first missions trip was nineteen ninety, which means for thirty years (laughs) uh, without trying to feel too old, for thirty years I've had the privilege of traveling around the world at different places and different times and um and seeing, you know, mission work, being involved in it, observing others doing it, etc. And I'd say I'm reasonably well-versed on the mission field and what's effective and what's not. And can I say I've never been more excited about what we do than what we are doing right now. I think it is incredibly effective as we empower and equip not only pastors and leaders, because we always get those guys, but we always get their key other people, other leaders, and train them as well. And when they start having wins, the pastors who've often been taught that they're the only ones who should be doing ministry, see that if they could get their whole church reaching out, making disciples, their impact would be greatly increased. And that's happening in the Philippines. It's happening up in Sri Lanka. It is awesome to be a part of mobilizing the church in that way. So that's been our strategy and that's by and large what we do. I think we need to understand the critical place mission has in God's plan. Uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Jesus' words. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Now, interestingly, in this context, Jesus' disciples who were, you know, Jewish, and had a very nationalistic mindset very much owned God for themselves. They were the chosen people, God's own people. And this is said in the context of them asking Jesus, when is the end going to come? When is your kingdom going to be established? When is the pain of Rome going to be lifted? And when is our nation going to come to its former glory? That was literally what they're asking Jesus. But he's thinking on another whole level. When he said first, what I've been talking about with you has got to go to the ends of the earth has got to be shared with everyone, well, number one, that would have really thrown them because they knew that was not going to happen very quickly. And it didn't happen very quickly left with them. It took major persecution, really, to scatter the church and make it effective and get on mission 40 years after these statements. Um, they had kept Jesus to themselves, and it's so easy for us to sort of go, well, that's that's terrible. They shouldn't have kept Jesus for, our, for themselves, but it's so easy for us to fall into the exact same mindset. I'm comfortable. I enjoy church. I enjoy my comfortable Western life just the way it is. Thank you very much. Yet Jesus will always be telling us this gospel of the kingdom must be Be preached in every nation before the renewal of all things, which is really what the end meant for him the end of pain and the renewal of all things. So that's pretty important in God's plan, don't you figure? God's not going to be able to do what He wants to do until we do what He's told us to do. So He's waiting on us in one sense. Jesus told us to pray that his kingdom would come on earth. And here's the thing with missions. Missions basically means that we have the incredible privilege, our moment in time to join what has been happening for millennia and do our part in ushering in the renewal of all things. That is what missions is about. It's not just a church program. It's not just a good idea that good churches get involved in. It is actually being part of the, the, the culmination of everything God's ever wanted to do on the planet. So missions is not a program we run. It's pretty central to who we are. Does that make sense? and should be for every local church. So I want to speak to us today about owning our mission. Can we talk about owning our mission Uh, and and not sort of space it out as just one plate among many? Uh, Other people do that. Other people are interested in overseas, and we're not just talking overseas. As I said, it begins at our doorstep. That's someone else's job. That's, well, I'm not really a mission-orientated person. Listen, I'd have to say, if you're not a mission-orientated person, maybe you're not a God-orientated person. Because last I looked, God was fairly orientated toward mission. Jesus was prepared to leave heaven and go to somewhere he was very uncomfortable. So I don't think we can leave mission out of the equation uh, and have much of Christianity left at the end of the day. Second Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to read a passage of Scripture, a block of Scripture, and then I'm going to pull it apart verse by verse for it. Is it okay if we actually spend a bit of time in the Bible today? Okay, and I'm going to do a couple of word studies, but I'm going to try and keep it flowing and try and keep us sort of Uh, moving through a train of thought. So here we go. You ready? You said I could get ready for it. Okay. Here we go. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 to 21. Now, interestingly, verse 17, we're probably all really familiar with because it gets picked out of this context all the time. But I want to actually read the whole passage in context. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God. That's an interesting statement for Paul to make. All things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Uh, I need two things. I need to pray, and I need a bottle of water. Thanks very much, Crystal. <laughs> Let's pray. Thank you, Father for blessing your word, opening your word, opening our hearts to what you want to speak to us through your word in Jesus name. Amen. That was tricky. I got the cap off while I was praying. I tell you what, if I get applause for that, I've got plenty of other tricks I could show you <laughs> far more dramatic than that. You, you should hear me sing Garth Brooks. Uh, no. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. He is a new creation. This is about, it's not about being good. This is about being new. And this is something we've got to get a hold of. I know I've mentioned it a few times. But if we don't get a hold of the fact that what God wants to do in us is make us brand new, we will always just fall back to moralised behaviour, what is good, what is bad, which puts us in the judgment seat of whether people are in or people are out. And last time I read what Jesus said, that's not our job. That's not our job. This is about being new, not about being good it 's not Christianity is not behavior modification, even though your behavior will modify if you become new but we 've got to get the, the the cart behind the horse where it belongs, so to speak, and this is why sometimes in church life you 'll get someone and i 've seen it even in a Pentecostal church like this where someone will come and join the, the community and they 're very welcome, and they struggle to live the way that They know everything around them expects them to live because they've come in determining that they want to be a better person, but they have not surrendered to God and allowed Him to make them a new person. And so they continuously struggle with behavior because there's been no surrender, even though there's a mental assent to, I think living like a Christian is the way I want to be. This is a good way for my kids to be raised. This is a safe place for my family, whatever. But until there's a point of surrender, all you're ever going to do is either be in or out, good or bad, you'll never be new. The only way you can be new is to get in Jesus, is to actually surrender to Christ and then behold... Old things pass away, all things become new. We change from the inside out. Now this is so important to understand when it comes to missions and mission because if we don't get this, all we do is try and impose our own moral standards on others and we do it in missions. You can see this, I mean, probably more recent history, the last couple of hundred years and evangelization through the Pacific Islands, where to be Christian meant you wore white. And half of that was to cover black skin. How offensive is that to God? So even while trying to do his work, presenting a very poor image of the Creator, it's not about being in or out. The next phrase that Paul says is now all things are of God. If you're a new creation, all things are of God. The way that you dress is not the issue. The things that you even practice is not the issue. God will accept you exactly the way you are. I can't promise you he'll leave you that way, but he will accept you. He will meet you where you're at. You don't have to get cleaned up to get a bath. Just get in the bath. And, and we've got to be careful because we can even do that locally. It's one thing to talk about the Pacific Islands, but what kind of cultural mores do we set? What kind of bars do we raise for people in our world that to be a Christian, you'll have to change this first? And often we struggle to share our faith. We struggle to get on with what this scripture is begins to to tell us is our job, we struggle to do that because we're too busy moralising, too busy telling people what good and bad behaviour looks like rather than telling them that they can be made brand new. That's good news, but whether you're in or out or you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing, that's bad news because everyone's doing the wrong thing. (laughs) There's no good news in moralising. But telling people that they can be a new creation, that God can restart the clock, that he can make all things new, that's good news. That's the gospel. And that's why we've got to get a hold of this whole understanding, especially when it comes to missions. Otherwise we just impose our own cultural morality on people. Verse 18, as I said, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given Us, the ministry of reconciliation. I want to get to the ministry of reconciliation in a bit, but first can we just look at this word reconcile and what it means? And I'm going to look at it just in plain old English dictionary first and then go to original language. We understand reconcile in general. It means to reunite, to bring back together again. I love that hashtag come together, to bring the act together again, to restore friendly relations between, to make peace between, to resolve differences between. But I love the Greek word, which is a word kartalaso, and it means to change or to exchange as coins for others of equal value. Hence, to reconcile those who are at variance. Maybe an illustration of that is if you got to the front of a line to get into an event like a concert or something and there's a big line behind you and everyone's going in and you get to the the ticket box and you work out, you're $20 short. I haven't got the money. I haven't got the right money. I haven't got the entry fee. The whole thought is that God has stepped in and given you the money you need. You need 20 bucks? Here it is. You need 30 bucks? Someone's a really big sinner. You need 50 bucks? Doesn't matter what the price was. You need five cents? Doesn't matter. You're still not getting in with the right, without the right money. Whether you're a big sinner or a, or a little sinner, doesn't matter. It's all, it's all an issue for your life. It's all going to fragment your life. It's all going to destroy you. It's all going to rob your authority to build your life and undermine the very thing that you want to live. That's what sin does. And yet what Scripture says here is that God has reconciled. God has made up the, the, the price for you. There is no one here who lacks. If you will let God do it, then you don't lack. What do you need? Do you need 15 bucks? Do you need 20 bucks? Oh, I'm really, really desperate. You might need 150 bucks. I, I don't know. But there's no one that lacks who allows God to reconcile them, be reconciled, and has given us the ministry. So he's reconciled him or reconciled us, it says, to himself. I love that thought. This is what God does for us, not for himself. See, we've often portrayed the gospel, and I think for many years, it's been portrayed a bit like God was really, really cranky and needed to be appeased. No, no, what Scripture is saying is he's reconciled you. He didn't need to be reconciled. We needed to be reconciled. The, The wrath is not in him. The wrath is in us. Through our disconnection with the one who made us in his image, it creates an angst and an inner turmoil in our life called wrath in Scripture. So that leads us to this thought, God's not angry. God's not angry, we are. God's not the angry one in this equation, yet so often that's how we've preached it. Thank goodness for Jesus, otherwise God would have squashed you like a bug. How could God not get over something that he expects me to get over without killing anyone? See, the the angst is not in God, it's in us. The brokenness is not in God, it's in us. The lack is not in God. He has reconciled us to himself. And yet I think often our message has been hard to share because... Uh, it's hard to explain an angry God who's going to squash you if you don't get your life together. Romans chapter six twenty three is a great. Book. Can we keep down this thought just a, a bit longer? You okay? Romans six twenty three is a scripture that's often been used part of the Romans Road. If you're a bit of an evangelist and you might have learnt this, and uh, it's a brilliant scripture. But in, in all honesty. Oh, Reading it for what it actually says is really different to the way it's often portrayed what it says. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to ask you here for a moment, um, uh, does God deal in death? You're in the first service. Does God deal in death? But we often think of that as the great punisher, the great judge. But his scriptures clearly, it's not God who deals in death. God doesn't pay the wages. Sin does. So we bring death into our own lives through our own disconnection with God, our own refusal to live in our original vocation, we bring death into our own world. We pay the wages of sin, the wages of our own brokenness. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because this is where we generally do exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden and we rationalise and we justify And we even shake our fist at God about our own pain. Blame God for the pain that we cause ourselves so often. And it's no different to those early coverings that were so inadequate of fig leaves trying to cover the shame up, except we use things like rationalization and we buy into theories like evolution or whatever in some way trying to explain it taking responsibility for our own lives out of the equation. God's not angry. And death comes through what we do, not through what he does. Is that a different story? Or have we just never really seen how plain the gospel is? The gospel shouldn't be hard to share. Jesus called it good news. But if we moralize, or if we make out that, that God's into thumping sinners instead of reconciling with them, that God has made a way. Jesus laid down his life to prove the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, beyond all doubt, so that we would know that nothing can separate us. A God who is prepared to go to such lengths to reconcile us, we could never, never get his love wrong again. And yet at times we have, and I think we all do. The fact is, who has ever spent some time on the sin cycle? Why that? I mean, you mess up so you can't come to God, so you spend some time in the wilderness beating yourself up before you come back to God. We struggle to believe that God is as good as he actually is. And yet the next verse says that God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself, not imputing our trespasses against us. In other words, God didn't have an issue with our brokenness. And yet we've often, you know, honestly, I used to preach this way. What is holy can't touch what is unholy. Well, Jesus disproved that, didn't he? When Jesus came, he touched everything that was unclean (laughs) and made it clean. And so we've had some funny pictures of God. And Paul goes on to describe this deeper. And he says in verse 19, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I just want to say one thing about God is in Christ. Do you you realize that the closest picture of God you're ever going to get is Jesus? If you've ever struggled to sort of um, uh, work out what is this God of the Old Testament and why does he look so different to the God of the New Testament? Can I just tell you, it's the same God. You're just seeing him clearly. That's why Jesus came. And in the Old Testament, people had all kind of connotations about what God was and what God said and what God did. For example, Abraham goes to sacrifice his own son, just like he would have in Ur of the Chaldees, where he came from. And the revelation of Abraham and Isaac is God saying, I don't need your kids. I'm not that kind of God. So in Abraham, God gets a bit clearer. And we see it right through and you hit the minor prophets and God is getting clearer and clearer. And eventually in the fullness of time, God gave us his son, who the New Testament says is the express image of his person and the brightness of his glory. You will never see God clearer than when you look in the face of Jesus Christ. That's who God actually is. Someone who would die for you. That's good news. God's not against me. God's not angry. My pain and the pain of this world is only our refusal to reconcile. But he's done everything he can to reconcile with us. I just want to look at this phrase, he's committed to us the word of reconciliation because Paul says it twice in this passage. Like this is now yours. This is what God has done. He has come to make you brand new. He did not look at you and despise you or hate what, what you did or what you, were, what you were like or he did not impute that to you. He just came to win your heart, to make you brand spanking new, to make up any lack that is in your life. And to elevate you to the place of true humanity. Then he's now given that to you. Or Paul says, given it to us. And this is where missions comes into this passage. Why are we talking about all this? Because all of this is talking about missions. You know, the word committed in English, we're pretty familiar with it. It means we're pledged or we're bound to a certain course of action. The original language, it's a word that means to place or to lay down, to lay off or aside, to wear or carry no longer. So here's the whole thought. God has committed to us. All of this, everything I've been talking about is now committed to us. It's like God has said, I have done everything I need to do. And now this burden of reconciling people, I'm taking off, I'm laying it down and I'm waiting for you to come and pick it up. This is now no longer my thing to carry. This is for you. Because Jesus isn't here anymore, but his body is. Jesus isn't walking amongst us anymore, but we walk amongst people every day that need to know that God is not a moralizer, that God is not interested in their brokenness. Well, He is very interested, but that is not the issue that's stopping them coming to Him. That God is interested in in reconciling, in making up the lack, in providing a way, an entry into life itself. He's already made a way and our job is not to judge where people are living and where they're at and what their lives look like or anything like that. It's simply to say, the good news is that God overlooked that so that He could win your heart, so that He could do everything that needed to be done to make an entrance into life. Now, That's good news. Doesn't mean everyone's going to want to hear it, but that's actually good news for people. And that's what Paul is saying. God has laid that down now and it's us. Why do we do missions? We don't do missions because churches should and they should. We don't do it because it's part of a program that we run. We do it because it is the gospel. If you remove this from the gospel, there's very little of the gospel left. If you remove missions from it, there's not much gospel left. And that's our challenge today. That's, that's, I guess, why we as a church want to stay committed to missions on every level, from locally right through to internationally, because it's a reflection of the heart of God. It's an obedient response to the Great Commission and to Acts 1.8. But I want to apply it just really quickly to us. How can we? Oh, actually, I want to just read one more passage. Verse 20, just to tidy it off. Paul says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Have Basically, when he says now then, he's saying, having said all that, <laughs> we're ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, be reconciled to God. And I've always loved that passage, as though God were pleading through us. I just want to ask you a question, first of four questions. But I wonder if you're here, who here maybe had a friend, family member, loved one, workmate, that was kind of pleading with them. Pleading with them. Turn it around. This is this is killing you. You need to stop living. You need Jesus. <laughs> Am I the only one? But I had someone like that. It's like, wow, that's now our opportunity. Is we we plead with people, be reconciled to God. He's paid the entrance fee. It's, it's not going to cost you anything. It's a gift. In contrast, if you keep going down your own path, the wages are really extreme for brokenness, living brokenly. You, you pay very dearly for that. But God's gift is eternal life. And so I'm going to ask us how we can be part maybe of the big thing, of the collective. When it comes to praying, just asking you a question, can you take a particular element of what we do in missions as a faith community, as a church, into your heart through prayer? We've got the booklets there that have got our current partners on them and would you take part of what we do into your heart through prayer and really pray, spend some time praying to the people that we support. Second one is around giving. And I'm going to ask us, what can we do to practically assist this form of mission work, this particular expression when we talk about what we do as a collective? What can you do to empower it in a practical way through our finances? And, and I'm going to ask us, think aside from our normal giving our tithe, which is an undesignated thing for food in the house. That's literally the the background of that scripture. Whereas missions, that is giving to empower specific projects that reconcile people back to God, beginning right here amongst Aussies and stretching right to the ends of the earth. What can you do to be part of that? And maybe you've never been part of that, or maybe you've been part of it for a while or in times past. I'm asking you to reconsider. What can you do? And lastly, go. Where can you bring reassurance of God's good intent toward all people in your sphere of influence? And can you plan to take it broader? So it begins wherever you are, in our families, in our workplaces. It begins right there. What can I do to help people understand God's intention towards them is only good? What can I do to be part of the ministry of reconciliation? And can I take that broader? Can I actually take this somewhere else? Go further. So for example, we have the mission trip in May to the Philippines. And maybe even just by the end of this service, it's something that's growing in your heart. I'd, I'd love to hear from you. You can go to the Compassion Desk and Mal and Damo, Wooldridge are out there and they'll, they'll talk to you about the details of the trip, if that's you. But I'm just asking us as a church, as a collective, let's consider how we can be part of this reconciling of the whole world, beginning in Jerusalem, in Toowoomba, the holy city on the hill going to the ends of the earth in Jesus name that was funny why don't we stand why don't we stand together Father prayerfully we come to you today and uh, we thank you for trusting us with the ministry of reconciliation and Father I, I pray that in all of our hearts as a collective we would be choosing to carry that mantle we would be choosing the ministry of reconciliation wherever we are, whoever we're speaking with, whatever circle of life we find ourselves in. That Father, we would bring, be bringing your good intent toward all people into that sphere in Jesus' name. Help us to do that. Help us to consider how we can take this into our heart through prayer. Help us to consider how we can assist practically with finances that empower people to do the work? And where would you have us go? How would you have us expand our reach in a very physical way? By going, in Jesus' name. Speak to our hearts. Let's just give the Holy Spirit a moment to work in us, to speak to us just in these moments. Lord, speak to our hearts, we pray. Show us where you would use us. Help us understand what you would have us to do in response. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Just as we stand here and our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, you know, you might be here today, and maybe you've you've never got to the point of accepting that reconciliation from God, of maybe you've never realized it before, but but there is no impediment to you having a relationship with God. That is now your choice. You can open your heart and step straight into his plan, his purpose for your life. Have him empower your journey. That's what God longs to do. That's why Jesus came, reaching out to all of humanity. And friend, you might be here today as an individual. You recognize that this is this part of your journey. This is where you're at now. It is time Time for you to actually come to that point of surrender and asking Jesus Christ to come into your life and to make you new. In a few moments' time, we're going to pray a really simple prayer together. And we'll pray it all together. But just before we do, if that's you and you just sense this is my moment, this is my day, you haven't done it before or maybe you've been away from God and you just know you need to renew it and this is your opportunity, would would you just, while every head's bowed, every eye's closed, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Because I want to know who I'm praying with. God bless you, mate. I see your hand. You can put it down again. That's awesome. Others in this place, really quickly. Yep. Yep. Fantastic. Yeah, I see your hand. God bless you. That's awesome. Just so others in this place, I just won't rush on. Just give it a moment more. It's a very important decision. But just getting to that point of surrender, we want Jesus to come into your life, begin to make all things new. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, we're going to pray this prayer together, church. So. Let's look up at the screen and um, let's all pray. Dear Jesus, Thank I believe you. in you. Thank, Thank you for forgiving you. me. Come, come into my life, into my life, life, and, life and I'll follow you. Amen. Amen. And uh, if, if you've done that, then in a moment, Robert's going to come and just let you know how you can follow through on that. And um, But for the rest of us, we have good news to share. We've been given a ministry of reconciliation. That's not about judging people, not about working out who's in or who's out, but about telling people, you know what? God's gone out of his way to reconcile with, you, with us. And you can receive that gift in Jesus' name. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah. It's good news. Thanks, Robert.